everybody. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. I'm not Coco. And I'm not dogs. And we're real people doing real reviews. You know what we're actually doing? I'm going to give it away this time. I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to actually tell them what we're saying. Given the weighty subject matter, do you think that your tone is appropriate? (laughs) (laughs) Should I be totally serious? (laughs) No, this is good to mix it up. What are we we doing today, dolls? Oh, so the podcast that we're doing uh, now is covering the Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness. How do you not have any voice acting gigs? I don't know. (laughs) Tell us, Coco. What's the summary for this? So The Sons of Sam is a brand new docuseries on Netflix, four episodes, one hour each, just released last week, if you're listening to this in real time, which, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you? Everybody does. I say that every time. Right. Shockingly, it's about the son of Sam, the notorious New York City serial killer, David Berkowitz, who uh, was uh, killing people in the mid-70s, caught, sent to prison where he still is. However, perhaps he was not the lone gunman. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> record scratch. The What's a record, Daddy? <laughs> the late journalist Maury Terry kind of devoted the last, like, 40 years of his life to investigating the sum of Sam Sam case, he was convinced that Berkowitz did not act alone, that there were multiple other shooters, that a satanic cult Mm -hmm. that reaches all across the U.S. and even has its roots in England was involved. There were also accusations of snuff films. Several of the other people he believed were involved ended up dead in suspicious circumstances. So, yeah, this is a four-part investigation of Maury Terry's investigation into this case. Lots of interviews with people who helped him with the investigation, with his family members, with other journalists. Like I said, I believe, on Netflix. So, Daltz, uh, what did you think? Do you have anything to add? So, this we should add to listener that this is the perfect confluence of subject matters for Coco. Because Coco is an ardent believer in conspiracy theories and also likes her a good uh, docuseries on unsolved or solved murders. Right. True crime plus conspiracy theory, I'm in. See, that was a much more eloquent way to put it than what I just said. <laughs> However, I will say... A conspiracy theory has to be not completely absurd for me to put any stock in it, Mm -hmm. which is why QAnon is just the most outlandish thing I've ever heard. And I don't understand why people believe it. But so let's not go there. Yeah, this is not a review of like that QAnon docuseries on HBO Max. Not yet. Not yet. We're planning on watching that. So adults, what'd you think? So I I thought this was great. Uh, I was riveted from the get go. Wow. I didn't know a lot about the periphery of this story. So everybody knows about Son of Sam, David Berkovich, the killer in the 70s in New York City. New York City was kind of dodgy in those days. It was kind of a a dangerous, dark, uh, decrepit, what other D can I use, uh, place. (laughs) Dystopian. Oh, see, now that was over the top. (laughs) 
that was just like, that's a $7 word. And I was using $1 words. Take a shot, listeners who take shots when we use big words. <laughs> if you're still alive after all the big words we use. Right. Um, and so this was a fascinating, fascinating look at the inside of this case. And I think that a lot of people, perhaps, uh, maybe I'm just dreaming, but are similar to me in that they just thought this was Dagobah committing these crimes, and he's the son of Sam, the end, he's in jail. But no. That's what the NYPD would have us believe. Right. And I was fascinated uh, by the way that this was revealed. This is really more a story of Maury Terry's right. uh, obsession with this case, but it's told really well, and there's a, there are enough uh, instances of, of the crime and enough uh, scenes with David Berkovich and all the other things around this case and even the Manson family. And there are things there that are enough to draw you into this story. But it's really, again, it's the story of one man's obsession, obsession with this crime. And the way that they lay it out is the NYPD, I just don't know. Like, what are they doing down there? Are they solving crimes? <laughs> I mean, in the 70s, they seemed like they were really in a big hurry to wrap this up because it was terrorizing the city and it was becoming a big deal across the country. And in those days, of course, no internet and it was just you were reading about it in the newspapers the next yeah, day or like, seeing it on, you know, NBC. That no kind of DNA thing. or anything. Like, you've got ballistics right. from guns and maybe fingerprints and stuff, but right. it's a much dodgier technology. 40, 50 years ago. And they were just kind of throwing together clues and this guy comes forward and admits it. And But meanwhile, there's like a uh, satanic cult behind the scenes that is... In Yonkers. In Yonkers. <laughs> uh, in this weird cave area in Yonkers in the aqueduct up there. Like somehow sacrificing hundreds of German shepherds in this like state park in Yonkers. I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah. And, and so there's all sorts of moments like this. The way that I watched this... It seemed to be uh, the, the best way to describe this, I guess, the way I watched this, is that every scene seemed like it was going to be this last scene of the of right. the show. Uh -huh. And then it was going to be like one of those cliffhangers where like, oh, we got to watch the next one. Except there was one of those like every five to ten minutes. Right, totally. So I was like, oh, I can't believe that. And then, um, oh, surely that's going to be the end of this episode. Because we didn't, I wasn't doing the no. the tracky thing where I was picking up and saying, oh, geez, how much time is left in this one? Mm -hmm. I was actually totally compelled enough that I was following along and didn't follow you know, didn't track it. And so that's why it felt to me like this is really interesting. Every moment felt like it was going to be the end of the episode, which mm -hmm. is, I mean that in a good way. And so I was, I was really uh, captured by this and I, I learned a lot. Uh, and I also unlearned some things too, in terms of David Berkowitz being the son of Sam. I mean, apparently he was not. <laughs> Berkowitz. Yes. So <laughs> tell us, Coco, what do you think? So I was like you. I Everybody knows the name Son of Sam. David Berkowitz. Everybody knows it was David Berkowitz, and it was the 70s. And I knew there was something about a dog involved. Oh, of course. Because... You know, apparently he said that he got his orders from a dog or something. Mm -hmm. So I knew there was some kind of dog involvement, but that was basically the extent of my knowledge. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Apparently, Maury Terry appeared on many shows in the late 80s into the 90s talking about how David Berkowitz is not the only son of Sam. And mm -hmm. I'd never heard of this. So I said to Daltz multiple times during these episodes, how crazy is it that even just a couple years after his arrest, like the Queens DA came out and was like, nah, this guy wasn't a lone shooter. We're going to open our own investigation and find out who helped him. Like, 
even like co-law enforcement entities <laughs> in the greater New York City metropolitan area are like, yeah, we got to redo this investigation. But somehow 50 years later, it's just widely accepted in pop culture history that David Berkowitz is the son of Sam, the end. like Yeah, and, it, and it, nothing subsequent to that. No, right. no exoneration, no real reopening of the case. Right. Um, I... These were four episodes. They were an hour each. As Daltz basically just came right out and said they were very dense. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of information packed into each of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they were great. I'm like Daltz. I learned a lot. It was truly head spinning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like all the like all the threads in each episode. Like you would pull one little thread, and then suddenly there's like eight thousand other little threads of investigation to follow. Like who would have freaking thought that? <laughs> The son of Sam and the Manson family mm-hmm. would be linked. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy. And even the North Dakota cops where one of the guys who could have been the son of Sam, like a co-killer, he died there under suspicious circumstances. And the North Dakota cops are like, yeah, there's no way Berkowitz was the only one. Yeah. Like, when even North Dakota cops are like, NYPD <laughs> effed it up. Like... Maybe that ought to tell you something. So, I mean, I, I'm like, Dalts, I understand. Like, the city was terrorized. They wanted to put this thing to bed. But we watched a docu-series a few months ago. Um, it's old, so we never ended up reviewing it for the podcast. But it's called The Staircase. It's about a novelist, uh, I believe off the top of my head, his name was Michael Patters, uh, Peterson. He was convicted in North Carolina of killing his wife. And... That docuseries went through a lot of forensic evidence, and I don't know what happened to that guy's wife, but for me, the science wasn't there to convict him of murdering her, and for me, the same is with David Berkowitz. Like, he, I don't think he actually went to trial. He just pleaded guilty in, yeah. like, the end, and he shipped off to Attica, and mm-hmm. nobody hears from him again, mm-hmm. but, like... At 2.33 a.m., he's seen getting a parking ticket off his car, which is what ultimately led to his discovery because he was in the area and the cops were closing in on him anyways. And at 2.35 a.m., five blocks later, victims get shot. Mm -hmm. And unless this guy is Usain Bolt, he ain't covering five blocks in two minutes. Like, he's built like our dog. Like, like, like he's a thick guy. So, I don't, you know, maybe he was training. Thick and has a waggy tail. Right. I mean, maybe he was training for a marathon. Like, you know, he, he didn't did, look like he was a marathon runner. Yeah, they did talk about Wheaties a lot. So, right. so, like, for me, just the evidence is, like, I don't know about satanic cults, you know, or whatever. But for me, just based on that alone i'm like yeah that evidence is just not there for me to think this guy at least did that killing there were a lot of pieces of evidence that they were bringing to the fore that uh maury terry brought to the fore that were connecting all these other guys around berkowitz and berkowitz and uh, i'm just gonna call him son of sam no i can't even call him that so uh (laughs) i think there's a lot of evidence around this guy uh that connects him to the case but there's overwhelming evidence to me that some other people were involved. I mean, yeah. there was lookouts, there were different cars, all the all the suspect uh, uh, descriptions, the uh, you know the crime scene uh, drawings and everything like that mm-hmm. from eyewitnesses. They were all different. 
So they look like all different people. Yeah. So how could you possibly... Right, totally. Like the very first episode, the first 10 minutes. So the first episode is just basically a recap of the case for people who aren't familiar. Mm -hmm. And they had six or seven different composite drawings from eyewitnesses. And yeah, like Dalt said, not a single one of them. Like even I, who know nothing about this case... I know what David Berkowitz looks like, and he didn't look like any of those drawings. It was like uh, that one thing where uh, there was a you know, there was a courtroom composite done, and it was a scene where Tom Brady was in it. Right, and he- <laughs> it didn't look like Tom Brady at all. <laughs> right. It looked like some some other guy, like right. some completely other guy. Right, he looked like uh, one of the guys from like the Adams family or something. <laughs> yeah, with a massive forehead <laughs> right. and everything like that. I was like, that's supposed to be Tom Brady, and that was kind of what it looked like. Is like this is not the same guy we're talking about. We all know what David Berkowitz looks like. He was a very yeah. famous looking guy. You know, he was smiling to the cameras as he was being you know in the purple walk and all that sort of stuff. Like. Unfortunately, we know what our famous serial killers look like. Yeah, and we, yeah. so even if you don't know anything about him, you know what he looks like. And none of the drawings look like him. No, not at all. And so there were a lot of things like that that just make you... I mean, everybody's memories are... are you know, Memory right. is a nebulous thing. It's not really a finite thing. And it's not really a, an absolute thing. So I understand that. And people get it wrong all the time when they do witness uh, composite diagrams and drawings. But... Not that different. Like, I mean, some of the, one of the guys didn't even look like he was a white guy. I mean, like, it didn't look like anything like Berkowitz at all. I wonder, so the filmmaker behind this docuseries, apparently he and Maury Terry knew each other. Mm. Um, and that's how uh, this information came to, like, his attention. Um, they did have a voiceover from Paul Giamatti reading a lot of Maury Terry's notes and diary entries, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember. Do you remember adults? I don't remember them ever saying we went to the NYPD for comment. And because I would be interested in that now. I mean, it's it's been 45 years since this case. I would be really interested. Like, well, they did go to some of the detectives and the tech detectives are basically like F you, but institutional like wise. It'd be very easy for the NYPD to be like, you know, hey, we have Berkowitz's DNA from mm-hmm. this car, you know, like yeah. just go over some of the evidence, you know, or whatever. I mean, it's been 45 years. Yeah. Like, is anybody gonna say, yeah, things have changed in 45 years with investigatory techniques. And we've uncovered some evidence that proves that maybe he, he was involved in these cases, but maybe not in these other ones. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe he wasn't a lone guy. And, but it's the NYPD. So and there doesn't seem to be any sort of spirit of, uh, fallibility here and right. admitting any fault. And I understand the civil consequences to all that, but at the same time, there's still people, as it was mentioned in this documentary, is that there's still people out there who were involved in this who are still alive. Right. And they're still out there and they got away with it. Mm-hmm. And not all of them are still around. Uh, some of them were killed in, as Coco mentioned, in uh, suspicious circumstances. But you've got to think that some of the families right. want to have resolution. The one guy who got shot, he says, I'm a hundred percent certain that Berkowitz did not shoot me. Right. And that's how much more <laughs> right. convincing do you have to have that? How much like better eyewitness testimony are you going to have? The guy that got shot. Although they're going to be like, Oh, well he got shot in the head. So it screwed up his brain. Right. And it was so dark. You know, know. Uh, yeah. yeah. You can spin it any way you want, but right, I, I totally. just think this is, this is like the miscarriage of justice. Uh, personified right here it's just amazing how things can get out of control and politics can get involved Mm -hmm. and all the wrong motives can get behind uh the criminal investigations and i wonder what happened with the queen's da's investigation also because the queen's da made a big deal about going on tv and saying we're gonna 
launch our own investigation. We don't believe Berkowitz acted alone. And then that kind of got dropped. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting to hear what their investigation uncovered and why that never went anywhere, if it never went anywhere. I will say secondarily, the music was awesome. Uh, it was constant throughout the background. It was it, it added to the tension and added to the level of engagement that I had. Uh, the interviews were all really well done. They got a lot of uh, retired uh, police detectives involved with it. People in neighboring boroughs who uh, were investigating as well. They got a lot of the families involved, a lot of the former victims involved. This was really well done from, you know, even got uh, Maury Terry's ex-wife involved. Mm -hmm. And she was a piece of uh, work in a lot of ways, you know, pretty honest and uh, frank person about about, uh, Terry. So I thought that was pretty good. So overall, Mm -hmm. like everything here was really well done. I think you're right. There was a little bit of a piece missing from the official NYPD uh, uh, response. But I think there were enough former NYPD people involved that there's still that side of the street is still covered balance wise. Um, so I thought it was, I thought it was really well done. And I can also see if the filmmaker is a personal friend or at least close colleague of Maury Terry, how he would probably want the attention to be on this man and this man's work, Mm -hmm. trying to write this miscarriage of justice, as opposed to getting bogged down with NYPD politics, Mm -hmm. the Queens DA's office, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like they, a lot of times in true crime documentaries, they want the focus to be on the victims, not on the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that was always a knock on what happened with the OJ trial was mm-hmm. Ron and Nicole got lost and it just became like a huge OJ circus. Mm-hmm. So, so out of 26 letters, Coco, what do you think? I think I give it like a B to B plus. Oh yeah. I think there were, like I said, a couple of the threads I wish had been followed up on with the NYPD and the Queens DA or whatever, mm-hmm. but Oh yeah, it was, it was a lot. I enjoyed it. It was really well done. It was extremely informative I will buy this conspiracy theory. So what uh, What about you? I uh, I tend to judge these things on what I learned and what I knew beforehand and what I learned coming out of it. And because I learned so much out of this, I say that I'd give this a good seven. Good wow. seven, almost eight. I think this is the highest grade you've ever... You've given a couple other things sevens. So yeah. I think this is tied for like the highest grade you've ever given. I was really amazed at the way this went. And as I was watching it, I was like, I can't get enough of this one. Like, let's just keep watching it. And we were able to squeeze it into our jam schedule these days. But <laughs> I'm glad we did because it was it was really fascinating. So I give it high marks indeed for the documentaries. I love me some documentaries, especially when they're done this well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I... I I'd watch another one of these kinds of things. Like I had no idea that it was a conspiracy theory around the son of Sam. No kidding. So now I know and it's, I'm so much better off. How, how did that get buried? Right. Like serial killers are so ripe for pop cultural analysis anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's whole cottage industries sprung up around serial killers. So how, although maybe this is, maybe there are actually known conspiracy theories out there and i'm just not in the serial killer world so maybe that's thank actually a that. good thing yeah. that i don't <laughs> thank, thanks for not being in the serial killer world yeah i didn't take the serial killer seminar in college so <laughs> yeah i will say too that uh the footage and everything like that the secondary stuff the setups and the recreations were all really well done and i love the fact that they had all the old headlines from the newspapers right. i love the old street shots that looked like they were actually from the 70s and the early 80s and stuff like that dystopian and uh yes and i would as an aside i would totally watch a documentary on new york in the 70s oh because it seems exactly like escape from new york (laughs) to me 
in yeah, many totally. ways. It just yeah. seems like that's the way the the city was, you know, with mm-hmm. the burnt out cars on bridges and stuff like that. Like, man, oh man, what a tough place to be in 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 the seventies. And then you go into the eighties and you get the crack epidemic. So right, yeah. And then I moved there in the nineties and everything was like. And then suddenly and Times then, Square is Disney five. Yeah, exactly, yeah. there was a Disney store at Times Square, <laughs> yeah, so I, totally. I moved there at the exact right time because I don't think I would have handled it. A nice Canadian boy walking into <laughs> tough New York. How's it going? Eh? Can you tell me where the malt shop is? <laughs> oh geez, little Davy Berkowitz. Eh? Oh geez, oh, with a knife in my side. Eh? <laughs> Now that we're probably going to get shanked in our sleep. Right, exactly. By our dog. Yeah. So uh, that's all I had on this one, uh, Coco. Anything else to add? No, I think we're all good. Okay. Thanks for joining us, listener. We appreciate it. For another episode of the podcast, I'm not Coco. And I'm not dogs.